0: Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15-20 to minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, Literally Heather. A lawsuit over an Illinois law that allows mail-in ballots to be counted up to two weeks after polls close on Election Day is advancing after a federal judge ruled against Democrats looking to intervene. Election Day is a little less than a week away. It's November 8th. Early voting has been underway for weeks. Mail-in ballots have also been sent out to voters throughout the state. As of Monday, state election board data indicates that there were 841,270 mail-in ballots sent, with 400,385 received back by the election authorities. That leaves 440,885 ballots that have yet to be mailed in. The state allows up to two weeks after polls close for local elections officials to count mail-in ballots. If they're postmarked no later than election day. A federal lawsuit was filed in May on behalf of Representative Mike Bost, um, who's a Republican out of Illinois, and several Illinois vote voters, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, by Judicial Watch challenging the counting of votes up to two weeks after polls close. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton alleges Illinois' policy violates federal law. We're supposed to have an election day, not election weeks or election months. Illinois, 14-day of extension of election day beyond the date set by Congress is illegal, violates the civil rights of voters, and encourages fraud. The Illinois State Board of Elections Monday said they don't comment on pending litigation. In September, spokesman Mike Dietrich said that counting such ballots is normal. This is not a completely new phenomenon, Dietrich had told uh, the Center Square. It's something that people should keep in mind, and they should realize that it's normal. Fenton argues only votes received before or on Election Day should count. Judicial Watch argues that holding voting open for 14 days past election violates the constitutional rights of voters and candidates, by counting untimely and illegal ballots received after Election Day, diluting plaintiffs' timely cast and received ballots. After the case was filed in May, the Democratic Party of Illinois motioned to intervene. Fitton read a judge's recent decision blocking that and allowing the challenge to move forward, because allowing them to intervene would threaten to delay this time-sensitive case even further. The court, in its discretion, denies their motion seeking permission to intervene as a party. It's unclear when the court could rule on the case, and it only impacts federal elections. Honestly, it's disappointing that this shit has not been worked out before now. Following the last shit show of an election, state congresses should have had all of this squared away, and any opportunity to skirt the rules should have been shored up. To say I'm disappointed is an understatement, and I cannot help but feel that it's intentional on both parties' parts at this point. Chief Justice John Roberts issued an order yesterday to temporarily bar the Treasury Department from giving former President Donald Trump's tax returns to a House committee. This is the latest move in a long-running dispute over whether Congress can gain access to them. Lawyers for Mr. Trump had asked the Supreme Court on Monday to freeze matters while they prepared a formal appeal of a ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, which held that the House Ways and Means Committee has a right to see his returns. Chief Justice Roberts oversees appeals that come out of the D.C. Court in a terse order he gave lawyers for the House Ways and Means Committee Which has been seeking the return since 2019, a deadline of November 10th to file a response to Mr. Trump's latest move. The setting of a deadline is an indication that the full Supreme Court will rule on the matter. The Democrats who run the committee are running out of time to obtain Mr. Trump's tax returns. If Republicans retake control of the House in the midterm elections next week, as polls indicate is likely, they are almost certain to drop the request when the new Congress is seated in January. Mr. Trump has pursued a strategy of using the slow pace of litigation to run out the clock on oversight efforts, which is looking to be a strategy that will pay off. Judge McFadden had ruled, and the District of Columbia Circuit Court agreed, that the law gives the Ways and Means Committee the right to gain access to the returns, but the judge first sat on the case for nearly two Gosh, excuse me, for nearly two and a half years before making his ruling and the additional delay increases the chances that the House committee will run out of time to obtain them. The case traces to the 2016 election when Mr. Trump broke with modern precedent for presidential candidates and later for sitting presidents by refusing to make his tax returns public after Democrats took over the House in 2019 they began trying to investigate his hidden finances. Representative Richard E. Neal, which is a Democrat of Massachusetts and the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, requested Mr. Trump's tax return, citing a federal law that gives his panel the authority to see any taxpayer's documents. Holy bananas. I'm sorry, but I'd, it's hard for me to believe that this is real life. It's been six years and our country is quite literally falling apart, and this is what our elected representatives are spending time and money on. If you were giving me this kind of energy on 10% for the big guy, the politicians entering politics broke and leaving millionaires, then I could probably still maybe not give a shit, but understand that you're just objectively performing the duties of your job. However, We are politically targeting a businessman who earned his money outside of political office and didn't take a paycheck while he was in office and got out of office with a decreased net worth. He doesn't owe anyone that information, and I hope that they never get it. I think, you know objectively thinking about this, Donald Trump ran on a platform of being like one with the people, one who cared about the people. And I, I think in whatever form a politician can actually do that, he did. Uh, but this would be utilized to be like, look, see, he's, he's so rich. He's not one of you. Like, I I think that that's what the, the thought process is here. I, it's just crazy to me that this is what they're spending their time on. Uh, Trump administration refused to let the Treasury Department turn over the records. In July of 2019, the House filed a lawsuit seeking to enforce its request, but Judge McFadden delayed making any ruling, and that session of Congress expired. In 2021, Mr. Neal issued a renewed request for Mr. Trump's tax returns from 2015 to 2020, saying the committee was studying a program that audits presidents Yeah, because you've audited so many presidents up to this point. Under the Biden administration, the Justice Department also issued a memorandum saying that the committee had a legal right to obtain the records. In December of 2021, Judge McFadden finally issued a decision agreeing that the law says the committee has a legal right to obtain the records. Mr. Trump appealed, and in August, a panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia upheld Judge McFadden's decision. Trump asked the full circuit court to rehear the case. It declined to do so last week, leading Mr. Trump to turn to the Supreme Court as he continued to slowly litigate the matter. The Ways and Means Committee maintains the law is on our side and will file a timely response as requested. That's the communications director for the Democratic staff on the Ways and Means Committee. She added that the committee's chairman, Mr. Neal, looks forward to the Supreme Court's expeditious consideration. God, man. Like, the Obamas and Clintons and Bushes have walked out of that that seat with ungodly amounts of money, but they didn't walk in with that kind of money. It's just, this is wild to me. Why are we spending time on this? The efforts to destroy the nuclear family, holidays, or anything else wholesome are growing exponentially, but an article telling you to eat out for Thanksgiving instead of cooking dinner with your family is something. A report compiled by Wells Fargo has analyzed the cost of eating at home versus the cost of eating out this Thanksgiving. By comparing data from last year's Consumer Price Index, Wells Fargo calculated the food prices for a home-cooked meal have increased by 9.81%. I bet that's a lie. Since last year, while food prices for a meal away from home have only increased 5.79%, the disparity in price increases means that a meal away from home is comparatively more affordable than in years past. The increased cost of basic commodities like eggs, which are up 32.5%, butter, 25.8%, and flour, 17.1% have driven up the cost of an average Thanksgiving basket. Meanwhile, turkey prices are expected to increase 23% since last year, partially due to the effects of highly pathogenic avian influenza. Environmental and agriculture factors played a significant role in dictating food costs in American homes this year. It couldn't be because the Federal Reserve thought it was a great idea to flood the market with trillions of dollars, could it? Oh, We don't talk about that. My bad. Dry conditions on the East Coast forced cranberry farmers to increase irrigation, which will likely lead to increased prices for fresh cranberries. Extreme heat in the Northwest has also affected potato crops, with farmers experiencing a lower than average yield for the second year in a row. Meanwhile, a surplus is expected to make sweet potatoes more affordable than many other traditional options. I'll make sure I give you guys my sweet potato recipe. Meal prices at limited service restaurants, establishments where you pay before eating have increased at a much slower rate than grocery prices, and the price of a meal at a full service restaurant, making them the most attractive option for many Americans this Thanksgiving. You will eat the bugs, you will live in the pod, you won't own anything and you'll like it, It plays in my head on repeat every single time. They want to try to encourage you not to do anything traditional with your family. This next story is a doozy. Um, Okay. So, all of the information that I gave you guys yesterday on the DHS's efforts on terrorism and things like that, I just, this is just a really interesting case. Counterterrorism experts say that Allison Fluke Ekron, who's 42 years old, represented an unusual case of a woman wielding power in the traditionally male-dominated culture of Islamic Jihad. This is a real subheading. Slay, queen, in all your feminist glory for, checks notes, Islamic Jihad. A Kansas woman who admitted to supporting the Islamic State terrorist organization, including training a battalion of women and girls to fight with rifles and explosives, Was sentenced Tuesday to 20 years in prison, just 10 years more than one of the January 6th protesters. Allison Fluke, who was born in Lawrence, Kansas, pleaded guilty in June to conspiring to support a foreign terrorist organization, the Islamic State of Iraq and Al Sham, also known as ISIS. Counterterrorism experts say that she represented an unusual case of a woman commanding power. And her father and grandfather were U.S. military veterans committed to terrorist acts during eight years in Libya, Iraq, Syria, and planned mass casualty attacks in the United States, according to prosecutors. Oops, sorry. Prosecutors had argued the 20-year maximum sentence would not be sufficient for her crimes. Beyond the prison term, U.S. District Judge Leonie Brinkema sentenced Fluke Akron to 25 years of probation. Her lawyers had urged Brinkema to order an unspecified shorter sentence because of her trauma and loss that she experienced because three of her husbands and two children died overseas. She suffered post-traumatic stress syndrome in Syria and abandoned violence when she quit the terror group in May of 2019, her lawyers said. In Syria, she served as the leader of an all female Islamic State group military battalion and trained women and children to use AK 47 rifles, grenades, and suicide belts on behalf of the terror organization. She trained more than 100 women and girls as young as 10. In addition to the terrorism charge, prosecutors discovered during the sentencing investigation that her eldest son and daughter accused her of physically and sexually abusing them as a child. Allison Fluke Ekron brainwashed young girls and trained them to kill. U.S. Attorney Raj Parekh said in a sentencing memo, she carved a path of terror plunging her own children into unfathomable depths of cruelty by physically, psychologically, emotionally, and sexually abusing them. One of her daughters told authorities an adolescent Fluke Ekron tormented her brother who is a year younger than her, for fun, and tried to drown him in an icy lake. Fluke Ekron's son, who was not named in court documents, recounted years of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse by her. She choked him to unconsciousness, locked him in tight spaces until he defecated on himself, and poured salt or chemicals into his wounds. My mother is a monster who enjoys torturing children for sexual pleasure, said her son, who's expected to attend the sentencing in Alexandria, Virginia. My mother is a monster, very skilled in manipulation and controlling her emotions to her advantage. Fluke Ekron's daughter also reported being molested by her as a child. The daughter reported being slapped so hard as a six-year-old in Egypt that her cheek would bruise in the shape of her mother's fingers. My mother would beat my body, leaving my muscles cramping in agony. Fluke Akron's break with the United States came after she completed college and graduate school and moved to the Middle East, according to court records that outlined her journey from Kansas' mother to overseas terrorist. DHS thinks that memes created violent domestic extremism, but women in today's colleges go overseas and train other women to murder people. 20 years. She emerged on the terror scene after the September eleventh, two 2012 attack in Libya on U.S. government offices in Benghazi, which killed four Americans. Vulcan Ekron, her second husband, claimed that he removed a box of documents and electronic devices from the compound and she helped him summarize the records according to court records. The documents and device were ultimately given to leaders of the terrorist group Ansar al-Sharia in Benghazi, according to court records. Fluke Agren created a military battalion of women called Katiba Nusabai in February of 2017 to teach women to help defend Raqqa, Syria, according to court documents. She lost three spouses. So this is where her PTSD comes from, to fighting. Akron, a leader of snipers for the Islamic State group, was killed in a U.S. airstrike in 2016 in Tel Abiyad. According to court records, her third husband, Mohammed Zafir, a Bangladeshi Islamic State group member who specialized in drones, was killed in an airstrike in Raqqa, Syria, in 2016. She had three children with him. Her fourth husband, Mohammed Do, another Bangladeshi Islamic State group member responsible for defending Raqqa, died fighting there in 2018, according to court records. After Do's death, Fluke Akron abandoned the terror group in May of 2019, according to her lawyers. She was smuggled out of territory, controlled by the militants, devoted herself to raising her children, and married her fifth hus- husband, Mahmoud Mustafa, a Syrian who was not a member of the terror group, according to her lawyers. She sought to bring safety and stability to her children and to allow herself to settle down and live as normal a life as possible. Yeah, let's keep humanizing pieces of shit because they have vaginas. It's working out so well for us. I'm definitely going to have to put the explicit marker on this episode, son of a bitch. Okay. That is Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Uh, Join us this evening on Twitter Spaces Live for uh, the next three chapters of George Orwell's 1984 if you would like to do so. Otherwise, I will see you guys tomorrow. Take care. Have a great Wednesday. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shoutsinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.